Our reading um, today is a selection of Proverbs. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. The lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard does not plough in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him, because his hands refuse to work. The sluggard says, There is a lion outside, or I will be murdered in the streets. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. The sluggard says, There is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this colourful book of Proverbs and the many ways in which it speaks so clearly, so insightfully and sometimes cuttingly into our lives, into our uh, attempts to make it through this life wisely and into our many mistakes. We pray, Father, that you would uh, speak to us again this morning through these verses. Help us to diagnose laziness in our own lives, uh, to be able to to grow in diligence because of the Lord Jesus Christ. For your sake. Amen. Maybe you remember a few months ago we were in Proverbs chapter 6 learning very briefly from the world of insects. Uh, and there was uh, the ant, which was commended. Uh, the ant works hard, gathering food, running around, being productive, even when there's no supervisor uh, ordering it around and telling it what to do. Uh, so be like the ant, Proverbs 6 says. Don't be like the slug. I know that's not an insect. Mini beasts. Um, uh, don't be like a slug, which just sits there, hardly moving, doing pretty much nothing. 
Uh, it's a very graphic picture of diligence versus laziness. And in the rest of the book of Proverbs, uh, these one-line sayings that we're looking at topically between chapters 10 and 31, uh, this theme of diligence versus laziness is picked up again and again and again and again, as you saw in the ones that we read, which means it's an important theme for us to study. So we're going to uh, take a, a closer look at ant-like or slug-like behavior in our last topical look at Proverbs. Uh, the Proverbs are there on your sheet. Uh, the points are also there on the back of your service sheet. Laziness is foolish and diligence is wise. Very simply, that's what we're going to say. I read this week about an, an opinion poll that asked people, what character trait would you most like to develop in yourself, to have more of in yourself? And one of the things people said over and over again was discipline. I just, I just want to be more disciplined in life. And I think often that's because we look around us, us and we see uh, some fairly obvious signs of discipline and ill-discipline in people's lives. Uh, when somebody is well-disciplined uh, or diligent, as Proverbs in these verses often puts it, we often see them succeeding in various areas of life, doing well at whatever they put their hands to. So we, we see people with successful careers, uh, family and relationships in good, healthy shape, uh, a number of hobbies at which they seem to do brilliantly at, at everything they try. Uh, they manage to be physically fit. Uh, if they're Christians, uh, they're, they're well involved in church services and serving. And perhaps we look at people like that with admiration and think, well, I'd, I'd just love to have that quality, whatever it is that enables them to get stuff done and do all of that. Uh, and then sometimes we see the opposite. People whose own lack of self-discipline has very obviously caused a string of setbacks in their life. And uh, perhaps a person is perfectly clever, perfectly capable, and yet in various ways things have been on the slide. Uh, at school or university they endlessly put off doing their homework. Gosh, that sounds very familiar. Um, in life they didn't follow up leads. They, they've not been taking care of themselves in various ways. They didn't invest in relationships or uh, family. They hoped problems would just solve themselves without any attention given to them. And in various ways, life has fallen flat. And maybe a person in that situation might admit it. Yep, I, yep, my lack of discipline, my lack of diligence has led to a lot of these things. Now, we know just by looking around uh, us in life that that is true of some of the people that we meet. But when we look at ourselves... If you're anything like me, you see a little bit of both. You see areas where you've applied yourself, you've worked hard, and uh, there's been fruit that's been rewarding in various ways. In other areas of life, maybe things have been on the slide. And maybe for some of us, this whole topic is a, a source of great frustration and sadness for us. As you reflect on your life or aspects of it with a sense of regret, of, of opportunities missed and potential not lived up to, I want us to see this morning how in Christ there is fantastic hope for us if we feel that way. Fantastic hope. Now remember, what Proverbs gives us uh, is a sort of generalized set of observations. Of course, in our complicated fallen world, the opposite of what I've just described can be true. You will meet people who are diligent and disciplined and yet their lives fall apart in all sorts of ways. 
we know that, don't we? The recession uh, that followed the credit crunch took jobs away from not just lazy people, but diligent people too. Uh, illness, bereavement, accidents can strike whoever. And the flip side, a, a lazy person can somehow get lucky through life. Perhaps they were born into money or they've wangled their way into a job that they basically do nothing for, but it, it pays well. Uh, or they win the lottery or something ridiculous like that. And we, we see people uh, breaking these so-called rules of Proverbs in various ways. Uh, so don't misunderstand these Proverbs. They are generalized observations about this world and how things are. Success is not guaranteed for the diligent. Failure is not guaranteed in, in particular areas of life for the lazy. But Proverbs says those are the likely outcomes. So we need to take this seriously and work out how to put our hope in Christ in this particular area. So point one, laziness is foolish. Let's look at three aspects of laziness. The, the outcome, the excuses, and the attitude of laziness. Now the outcome of laziness leaps out in many of these proverbs that we've just read. Chapter 10, verse 4 at the top. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Uh, chapter 12, verse 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. So the normal, likely outcome for a lazy life is poverty, says Proverbs. Now, these were written in an agricultural economy uh, in the Middle East in a 1000 BC or so, which means uh, the connection between laziness and poverty would have been very, very obvious in that society. So uh, you pick up in uh, verses like 20, verse 4. A sluggard does not plough in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. And 24 verse 30. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. If you're working the ground in a society like that, it's very, very obvious. If you don't plough, you won't eat. If you don't care for your vineyard, you'll have no wine. The connection is very straightforward and in front of your eyes. And it can be less straightforward for us to see in our society. But it remains true uh, for the rest of us. God has set up this world in such a way that the outcome of laziness tends to be financial ruin. Well, how does that happen? Uh, For a start, uh, opportunities in life are squandered. 12 verse 27 The lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. He's got a fantastic bit of game, brilliant bit of food that he could eat, but he just doesn't bother roasting it, doesn't go around to cooking it till it's gone off. 19 verse 24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. It's one of those proverbs that you struggle to uh, disguise the sniggers as it's being read. What a great picture. Hand in a, a tray of food and just can't be bothered to lift it. I'm really hungry. I can't, I can't get it to my face. There's a picture of somebody who's got uh, opportunities and privileges in life right in front of them, only to waste them and throw them all away. The person who gets the great job but just can't keep it because their own attitude to work is so bad. A person who has wonderful friends around them but pushes them away by being neglectful and uncaring. The person who meets somebody absolutely wonderful who could be a potential marriage partner but loses them because they just can't be bothered to invest 
in that relationship. Such a waste. Such a shame. It is painful to watch that happen to people that we know and love, isn't it? It's painful to experience it happening to ourselves. Now don't mishear Proverbs here, don't mishear what I'm saying this morning. There are all sorts of things that could happen to somebody, all sorts of reasons why somebody might lose a job or lose a relationship. Nothing to do with laziness. Of course that is true. Of course that is true. But we understand, don't we, that laziness can lead to these things. Uh, That employing a lazy person, for example, is a nightmare. Uh, 10 verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. Gosh. Well, we can't really blame a boss for firing a deliberately unproductive worker. There's only so much vinegar a boss can drink. There's only so much smoke he'll he'll be able to inhale before he'll send somebody packing. Or 22, 29, do you see a man skilled at his work? He'll serve before kings, he'll not serve before obscure men. But presumably the lazy person is the opposite, lacking in skills or any concern to develop them in in a diligent way. Uh, The lazy person won't be kept on by the, the decent companies that pay well and give good job prospects. If employed at all, it's likely to be a dead-end job, doing menial tasks, being pushed around by the kind of supervisor who knows very well that their staff won't do anything unless they're prodded again and again and again. Someone who never takes responsibility will soon find that they're just not given responsibility and they're treated as such by anybody who's in charge of them. So that's the outcome of laziness, summed up in 18 verse 9. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Being lazy is destructive, Proverbs says. We may not be physically destroying something in an obvious way, but laziness can tear apart a company's profits or a family's livelihood or a nation's economy. That's a pretty bleak picture that's being painted here, but there's, I, I hope you'd agree there's little point in arguing with Proverbs here. We just look around the world that we're in and we see this in action. We see it happening to people around us, people that we know, perhaps in some ways to ourselves. So let's dig a little bit deeper into this and look at the excuses for laziness. What is the lazy person saying for themselves? How do they try to justify their behavior? Uh, Well, plenty, as it turns out. Uh, 14.23. All hard work brings a profit but mere talk leads only to poverty. So this lazy person is very good at talking about work, sounding like an expert, maybe advising or criticizing others around them. No doubt they're they're justifying their own behavior, uh, making excuses for themselves, but still they're managing to do that without doing any actual work. Uh, So no profit, no accountability is coming out from, from their position in the company. I think we need to watch out in our society for the culture of endless over-analysis of things that stops people actually working. Meetings upon meetings, uh, setting policy and vision statements endlessly, describing objectives and procedures and targets and risks and rearranging the office and rearranging the files. Yeah, at, at times all of those things are good to do. But all too often they're done at the expense of genuine productivity. Watch out for that culture. It can uh, start to drive us as individuals. Do anything rather than something productive. 
Read on and the excuses start getting outlandish. 22 verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. Well, I'll be murdered in the streets. I, I, I would go out and work, but I, I really want to. But I, I, I just feel this sense of panic when I think about all the lions and the murderers that are, that are out there. I, I just know they're waiting for me as soon as I open the front door. Now, those excuses might sound extreme and silly to us. Maybe they weren't so daft at the time. There were lions in the Middle East at the time. They were a legitimate danger. Uh, Casual banditry, I guess, from a lot of what the Bible says. And murder was more frequent than in our society. The point is not that those dangers don't exist at all. But you can't let them stop you working, being productive. Avoid the lions, fine. But uh, you'll die of starvation if you just stay inside the house the whole time because they're there. So it's worth asking, what do we fear? What do we turn into an excuse to avoid working? It could be a fear of others. Uh, there's a big assignment ahead of you that you're facing. Uh, you might not do a perfect job of it. And you're terrified of being shown up, of being disapproved of by your superior or the people around you. And so in order to protect your reputation with your boss or the people around you, you find some sort of excuse to evade that work to uh, cancel the project somehow or to fob it off on somebody else. All because you don't want to be the one who's seen to not achieve in that particular project. Or sometimes people are just simply afraid of disappointing themselves. You're a perfectionist, so you think uh, that you won't complete something to your own insanely perfectionist standards, and so you, you avoid starting it at all. Or you Drop it as soon as anything about the the project looks tricky. You'd much rather think of yourself as the person who could have done that, but didn't bother trying, or who ran out of time, uh, than the person who gave it their best shot, but didn't quite work out how you wanted it to. That's pretty tragic, to be controlled by those fears. A a friend of mine has has a, a repeated habit of deciding to get his life in order, setting a bunch of ridiculously unattainable targets for himself, and then about two days later, when he misses one of those targets, just thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to do uh, this particular target, so I might as well not do any of it. Forget it. And he just lapses back into life as it was. Uh, The fear of disappointing ourselves can be a bizarrely crippling thing if we let it take hold. Do you see how the lazy person makes excuses for themselves until they're convinced that they're doing the right thing? 26 verse 16, at the end of that little paragraph. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. Yes, I know I got fired from that job, but let me tell you all my reasons for not doing any work while I was there. Yes, I know my my children are completely and utterly out of control, but let me tell you my reasons for being an absent parent. Yes, I know my marriage has fallen apart, but let me tell you my reasons for neglecting my spouse for the last decade. I think you'll see I was right all along in those decisions that I made, says the sluggard. Thinks that he's very wise in these decisions he's making. And so excuse after excuse, the sluggard is right in his own eyes, convinced that he couldn't have done anything differently and ready to challenge anybody who dares to contradict 
that. So we've seen the outcome of laziness. Uh, we've dug a bit deeper to the, the excuses given by the lazy person. Let's dig even deeper still and see the attitude of laziness that underpins all of that. What does the lazy person really want? It's easy to make a mistake here. We might think the lazy person doesn't really want anything. That that's their problem. They've got no drive, they've got no, no desires, no ambition at all. But Proverbs says that's not right. There are desires. So 13 verse 4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. It's interesting, isn't it? The sluggard does crave something. So what is it? Uh, 1915. Laziness brings on deep sleep and the shiftless man goes hungry. Do you see what's going on in that verse? There's a battle between two desires. The desire for sleep... Sometimes that's a very good desire to have. And the desire for food. That's also often a very good desire to have. And for this particular sluggard at this particular time, sleep wins. Why? It's the one that takes no effort at all. It's immediate and satisfying. It allows you to forget whatever else you're, you're worried about. But food takes effort. Uh, remember 1227, the one who refuses to roast his game. It takes a bit of effort to get a, a meal together, maybe to go down the shop, maybe to earn some money so you can go down to the shop. Or the one who, who won't even bring his hand back to his mouth from the dish. Now, look, we've, we've all experienced what it's like to be so mind-numbingly tired that it feels impossible to move, to get out of bed, even though we're lying there feeling achingly hungry or desperately thirsty or in dire need of the toilet or whatever it is, you're stuck and you just, you're so tired you can't move. We know what that feels like. We've all experienced that. But the sluggard turns that into a habit. Why do anything when you can just sleep instead? Why you can just carry on closing your eyes and getting a bit more shut-eye rather than put some effort in? And that is why in 20 verse 4, the sluggard doesn't plough in season. He wants short-term satisfaction. He wants to laze around. He wants to do something else other than plough, when ploughing is utterly necessary. Uh, He wants that kind of short-term satisfaction rather than the long-term, hard-won satisfaction of a good harvest. That is why in 21-25, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. There's a craving in the lazy person for some sort of short-term pleasure, whatever it is. It could be sleep, it could be games on the computer, TV, web surfing, uh, drinking, lazing in the sun, whatever leisure activity or inactivity is preferred. Um, This short-term thing, all of those things are are good and fine in their right time. Uh, But to always prefer those short-term Uh, pleasures rather than the long-term productivity is what drags this sluggard down in Proverbs. So this is an important thing to recognize, I think, in yourself and others if laziness is potentially an issue for you and me, that the attitude behind laziness is not lacking desire. It does desire, but it desires a short-term lazy pleasure rather than any kind of long-term investment and achievement. There's various words for doing that. 
One is procrastination. I've had this little leaflet about procrastination. I've had it for a little while. Finally got around to reading it this week. Um, Sadly true. Um, I have to say, I I very much relate to the struggles that the author of this little leaflet uh, describes in his own life. Uh, In fact, I should probably come clean with you. I feel so unqualified to talk about this whole subject from Proverbs. Uh, I need to learn from this morning's sermon as much as anybody here. Uh, uh, Preparing for this has been a a very helpful exercise for me to read some of this material. Uh, And uh, So seeing as I'm really not the expert, let me pass on some of the things that I've read in preparation for this morning. In this leaflet about procrastination, um, the author puts his finger on how procrastinators tend to operate. There's sort of habitual patterns of thought. If it's not due tomorrow, then you've got plenty of time. I recognize that one. There are mottos that people throw around that can actually be very unhelpful. Have you heard people say, pressure makes diamonds? In other words, if you really wait until you're absolutely up against it with a deadline, then then you'll be really productive and do a great piece of work. Uh, Work expands to fill the time available. That's what we're always told, isn't it? So it must be more efficient to just leave it until the last minute and use the least possible amount of time for that that job. We can easily let these these kinds of thoughts become habits ingrained in the way we approach every decision in life. I read elsewhere that the lazy person is someone who fails to learn the lesson of delayed gratification. One of those basic things that as children we need to learn. As we said, uh, are you the kind of person who came home from school and immediately did your homework so that the rest of the evening you could enjoy? Um, that's delayed gratification. I never learned that skill when I was at school. I'm still trying to learn that doing household chores helps later. Uh, Physical exercise is good for you. Uh, that's another delayed gratification thing, isn't it? I, I read that a, a common kind of conversation to have in a health club goes a bit like this. One person says, why do we do these things? And the next person says, because it feels so good when we stop. And it does. <laughs> the little experience I have of such things. Uh, it's <laughs> There's the immediate pleasure of the, the alertness and the endorphins and the, the sort of feel good of, of having exercise. Then there's the longer term a good uh, uh, feelings of physical health and weight loss and muscle tone, all those kind of things. Uh, if we're going to get those things, we need to master this art of delayed gratification. Uh, I did it once. Before getting married, uh, I got very strict with myself and laid off desserts for a few months. And uh, I was in better shape that year than I had been for a few years before that and ever since. And uh, naturally, people have told me that I was completely the wrong way around to do it. If I'd sort of bulked up and looked a bit bloated that day, then you know, ever since I could look back and say, well, I'm not as bad as I was on, on that day. Uh, we, we need delayed gratification in all sorts of areas of life. The lazy attitude says, oh, it's much easier to just go out than practice scales. It's much easier to watch TV than to study. It's much easier to uh, walk out on an argument than deal with our emotions and work through the conflict in a loving way. It's much easier to read the paper and drink coffee in our dressing gowns on a Sunday morning than it is to get everybody up and dressed in the house and face whatever the weather is and face whatever the traffic is and make it to church. In our jobs, 
There'd be lots and lots of times when we'd rather not get up so early, rather not knuckle down to a frustrating task, rather not work through a relational conflict with somebody at work, uh, rather not move on from endlessly checking email or just making sure we're up to date on the latest things on the internet. For many of us, there will be what one book I read called quitting points, moments where it just suddenly hits you that it would be a lot easier to quit than endure. And if we take our eyes off the longer-term gains and satisfactions of diligence, then we'll take that easy route. There's another way, another way in Proverbs that the, the cravings of the lazy person are described here. Chasing fantasies. 28 verse 19 at the end. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. So averse to hard work, the lazy person wants to take shortcuts to make a million by doing nothing. Uh, so, well, the lottery, that looks like a very, very attractive thing. Those get-rich-quick schemes that pop up in adverts in newspapers and on the, on the internet, those, oh gosh, that sounds like an ideal way to live for a lazy person. So they're, even though they know better, they're sort of interested Would this work? Laziness is foolish, says Proverbs. We've seen its outcome and its excuses and the attitude underneath it. In many ways, what I've said from Proverbs, as as I've said, is is uncontroversial. We see it around us. We see it in ourselves. So let's look at the, the second point. Diligence is wise. Even as we read the verses, uh, you'll have picked up the flip side that these verses describe. So let's just read a a couple of them again. 10 verse 4. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. 12 verse 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. 12.27. The lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. 13.4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. 14.1. The wise woman builds her house but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. 22, 29. Uh, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. The diligent person, according to Proverbs, has a completely different outcome. Wealth, authority to rule, uh, prized possessions, satisfied desires, a house built rather than torn down, the chance to serve before kings. The diligent person isn't making excuses. There's no hint of of that. Instead, he or she gets on with the the task in hand. The diligent person has a completely different attitude as well. They've learnt the secret of delayed gratification. Uh, So 24 verse 27 says, uh, Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. So for the diligent person, there's no idle shortcutting or fantasizing about getting a house and making the money without putting any work in. The diligent person doesn't live beyond their means. They make sure the income is in place before they buy a place to live. They don't expect money for for nothing. They don't expect an easy life. But there's a, a satisfaction of a job well done or of a life lived with integrity, a potential fulfilled. All of that said, how do we get there? 
It's all very well talking about this and observing the way Proverbs observes and uh, longing to move from laziness to diligence. But how? It's very easy to feel stuck. Uh, easy to want a quick solution. Uh, the author of the procrastination leaflet, uh, when he describes the time that it became painfully obvious to him that it was a serious issue that he needed to learn about and grow in, about in his life, he said his first instinct was to find a quick fit, easy, uh, no effort solution. And so he was casting around for that, and he hoped that in the Bible, in the Gospel, there would be a quick fit, easy, no effort solution. In a sense, there is. In a sense, the good news about Jesus is the quickest of quick fixes, if I can put it that way. If we trust in Jesus... His death on the cross is the death that we deserved for all of our sins, including our sins of laziness. And it accomplishes for us instantly full forgiveness, absolute perfection in God's sight. So if you or I struggle with laziness and we're aware that this is a a sin that we need to work through and to deal with, this is the brilliant beginning of understanding the gospel. God sees us now, if we trust in Jesus, through his perfect obedience. God sees you and me as perfect because of Jesus. And that is revolutionary. If you are used to feeling disappointed with yourself on a regular basis and imagining that God must feel the same about you, if you are used to thinking that other people are going to disapprove of you and feel disappointed in you, and maybe they do, then this is the best news you could hear. That God views you through the perfect, diligent obedience of Jesus Christ. That his record, rather than yours or mine, is what counts in God's sight. That is brilliant. And that is (laughs) the quickest of quick fixes. You trust Jesus and it's done. Wonderful. Then... (laughs) then. Jesus becomes our model of diligence. And suddenly we have the highest of highest mountains to climb because, well, let me describe uh, Jesus. This is how Hebrews 12 verse 2 puts it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That shows, I think, how Jesus going to the cross is the ultimate model of Delayed satisfaction. For the joy set before Jesus, the joy of saving millions and millions of ha- and having us with him for all eternity, he endured the cross. Uh, Jesus was, as we know from the Garden of Gethsemane, tempted to give up. Temptations that must have grown and grown and grown as he was there nailed to the cross. Temptations that must have become stronger than anything you or I will ever face. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but at any moment, as Jesus was being crucified, he could have walked away from it all. He was God on the cross. Any moment he could have walked away. Right up to the the milliseconds before death, he could have said, no, (laughs) this is too much. I don't love these people this much. But he stayed. 
And he kept going. At any moment, Jesus could have said, no, I don't love them this much. And he kept with it. Jesus is the ultimate example of the one who lived a life of diligent obedience to the very end, the bitter end. And as we've been saying during the service, uh, God changes us, his people, to be more like Jesus, to be more like that perfect example. So, understanding what discipline and diligence might be and wanting to be diligent is not enough. Um, Practicing it means beginning to make those decisions. I don't know what you want to start with. Maybe you want to start with leaving the best food till last on your plate. That's about the one thing I managed to do when I was growing up. I was one of those that always left the best stuff. What what do you do when you eat that Neapolitan ice cream? Those three flavors. You know the the ice cream you get with the the chocolate and the strawberry and the vanilla? I don't know which your flavor is, but do you eat it first? Or have you got the diligence to delay the gratification and eat the slightly less good ones and then savor the, the last one best so the taste stays with you? That's... That's what I've always done with food. It hasn't worked its way into the rest of life that well, but um, uh, maybe start with that. Uh, start making appointments with yourself. Uh, set early alarm clocks and then stick with it. And if you can't get up, put it the other side of the room. So you have to get up and, uh, and switch it off. Our bodies will, will, will scream in offended rage when our alarm clocks go off earlier than we want to get up. You know that feeling. Uh, but we need to start setting habits. Budgeting, financially, that's a good habit to begin to set. If you're married, setting a date night regularly, making sure it happens that you spend time with one another. Yes, that that involves organization. Call around, book babysitters, yes, but it's vital. Spending time with God as people who uh, trust in Jesus, that is vital. To make spiritual life flourish, to be regular at church, to have fellowship with with other believers. What what do you do? Do you you wait until Saturday night and get in quite late and then say to yourself, it's quite late. Do I feel like setting the alarm in time to get to church in the morning? It's often less likely to happen if you do that. Do you uh, think, let me just have a look, who's speaking? What's the subject? Um, do you look out the weather, out the window to see what the weather is like before you decide whether to come to church? Block these things into your calendar and discipline yourself to say, this is what I am going to do. I'm going to plan in advance. And I've decided that spending time with God in a quiet time, that coming to church uh, is better than whatever uh, immediate satisfaction I might get out of a lion or so on. You're saying, if you're doing that, I'm willing to go through the discomforts of committing myself to Christ so that I can uh, experience the, the blessedness of a flourishing spiritual life for the rest of my life. That's hard. Let's be honest about it. Growing in diligence and discipline is hard. Uh, so it's good to, to, to work out how we're going to do that, to, to start talking to others and saying, I need help with this. Can you help me? Can you keep me accountable? Can you ask me how I'm doing? Can I tell you when I struggle in this area? But far more important than the help of each other is the fact that God, by his Holy Spirit, can transform us, can do this in us. 
So uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says this, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Have you ever thought of the Holy Spirit as the spirit in you that can produce self-discipline in you? Maybe you doubt that God can change you at all, that you've gone for years just thinking of yourself as somebody who can't get out of these patterns of laziness and and ill-discipline. And you think, well, maybe this much change is just not possible this side of heaven. The Holy Spirit is in you if you trust in Jesus. His power is able to transform. So we can take on a a positive, dependent on God, forward-looking attitude to this struggle. Uh, One author wrote this, The battle for self-control is fought primarily within our own minds, in those areas where we've failed to curb our appetites and emotions, uh, the more we say no to sinful desires in the power of the Spirit, the more we'll be able to say no. And progress is a long-term program of breaking bad habits and replacing them with good ones. It'll be hard. There'll be a series of failures, no doubt. But it's about setting habits, not about a one-off quick-fix decision. Just as laziness is a series of uh, small one-off decisions, so is uh, diligence. So 24 verse 33, in the middle of that paragraph. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. The point is, laziness happens bit by bit by bit by bit. Very rarely will anybody say, I'm going to just stay in bed from now on. And I'm just going to be so rubbish at my job that I'm going to get fired. Nobody makes that decision. But little bit by little bit, you sort of think, oh, a few more minutes. Set the clock again. An hour later, oh, a little bit longer. Little bit by little bit by little bit. And the opposite is true. Setting patterns of diligence will only happen little bit by little bit by little bit. We've got to teach ourselves. We've got to undo those ingrained bit by bit habits. So let's finish with... uh, Something of a thought experiment. Imagine you won a lottery. Or imagine you won two different types of lottery. Imagine you won the national lottery with its prize of millions and millions. And then fast forward to yourself ten years from now. What would that have done to you, getting those millions? Do you think it would have grown you as someone trusting in God, as somebody living diligently, obediently for him? Or do you think it might have just ingrained a bunch of habits in you that wants the lazy quick fix? Do you think perhaps, like a lot of the lottery winners that we read about, your life might end up a bit of a shipwreck even if you were to win financially on the lottery? It's possible. Imagine winning a different kind of lottery though. Imagine winning, and this was a thought given to me uh, in a book, if you think it's bizarre, it's not from me. Imagine winning a lottery where the prize was perfect ability to be diligent. Strange prize. I don't know how it would be awarded. But imagine that somehow that could be given to you instantly. Perfect ability to be diligent. And then fast forward ten years. What might that have done to your friendships? to your family, if you have a family, to your work, to the the hobbies, the things that you've always wanted to achieve but just never got round to. Just imagine what, what that might have done in 10 years. 
Diligence would be a fantastic thing to seek, to ask God for help with, uh, to take hold of his Spirit's promise to transform. There is great, great hope in Christ, even for those of us that find this area a struggle. So let's pray and ask for his help. Father God, we thank you so much that you take us just how we are in the gospel. That with all of our faults and failings and sins, even laziness of various types, extreme laziness perhaps for some of us, we thank you that Jesus Christ took us in, paid for our sins, that he set no condition on having us as his beloved children forever. We thank you so much for that. Thank you that you love us, that you look upon us with delight because of all that Jesus did if we trust in him. We do pray, Father, though, that you would help us. We thank you that though you take us just as we are, you don't leave us as we are. Thank you that you change us, that you do transform. And we pray that we take hold of that promise, that your spirit will dwell within us as the spirit of self-discipline. Please, Father, would you help those of us for whom this is a big struggle to move forward, maybe small steps, uh, but to grow in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.